Hi again, everybody, and welcome to a brand new episode of Grumpy Old Broadcasters. I am your host, one of the grumpy guys, Dan Scott. Cobb Oxford and Tom Van Hoy will be joining us before we are done here today. And uh, as always, we feel like we've got a good session for you. We're going to be talking with the general manager of the Greenville Drive minor league baseball team here in Greenville, South Carolina, Eric Jarenko. Of course, all the minor league baseball uh, has officially now been canceled. Not a real surprise, but huge, huge hits for communities all over this country. And minor league baseball, as you probably know, has been somewhat under assault by major league baseball and we're going to talk to Eric Jarenko about all of those things coming up on this episode 11 of Grumpy Old Broadcasters. Need to tell you about a couple of things right off the top, though. Number one, we are brought to you each and every episode by our friends at Todaro Pizza at 116 North Markley Street in downtown Greenville, on the west end of downtown Greenville. In fact, just a couple of blocks down from Floor Field, where the Greenville Drive play. And uh, they are open at 50% capacity for you to come in and enjoy the best pizza in the area. They also are doing takeout and delivery. So many things to offer. Uh, John and the folks there have worked extremely hard to make sure, A, that their great food has been available during this entire coronavirus pandemic, and, B, that when you come into the restaurant that you are coming into a place that has been deeply cleaned and sanitized and you are going to be safe, their employees are going to be safe, and you're going to get to enjoy the fantastic food. Also, don't forget about the location in downtown Clemson on Sloan Street. Todaropizza.com is the website, T-O-D-A-R-O pizza.com. You can go there and you can find out all of the menu information and find out about hours of operation, any specials they have going on. We thank John. We thank Todaro Pizza for their continued sponsorship of Grumpy Old Broadcasters. The other thing I want to remind you is we would love to hear from you. If you have any uh, questions or comments, any thoughts about any of our previous episodes, and, man, we have had a run of fantastic guests uh, over the course of the last couple of months. Drop us a line. The best way to do show uh, do so is at my radio show email address, thedanscottshow at gmail.com, thedanscottshow at gmail.com. And as always, we ask you to uh, like and share this podcast. Help us grow. It's available on every podcast platform conceivable. We just need you to rate it, to like it, and help us get the word out to other people. So please do that. The bell has rung. It is time for us to get going on this edition of Grumpy Old Broadcasters. As mentioned, this is episode 11 of Grumpy Old Broadcasters, our brand new podcast. Uh, I am Dan Scott, Cobb Oxford, Tom Van Hoy with us today. The uh, seamstress for the band, Dory Kid Smith, could not be with us, but uh, she will be uh, rooting us on from wherever she is. And we're glad to have you here on the podcast. And again, we just ask you to share it and to help this thing grow. Um, when we first met, when Tom and I first met our guest today, uh, he was actually working in media relations for the organization in which he is now a general manager. And it just goes to prove that if you are smart and a hard worker, 
you can advance beyond the media. So Tom and I obviously are neither. What happened to us, Dan? But 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 Eric Jarenko uh, has ah, moved in, into the front office of the uh, of the Red Sox organization as general manager of the Greenville Drive, and and he joins us here on Grumpy Old Broadcasters. How are you, my friend? I'm good. It's uh it's good to see you, Dan, and Tom virtually. I wish we were seeing each other in the press box right now for some drive baseball, but obviously everything's on hold. And uh, I don't think I've ever been accused of being smart. It's how much you can BS your way through things uh, as a hard worker is how I got to where I am today. Well, and, and let's be honest about this. If we were at the ballpark and Tom and I did see you, it would not be in the press box. You would be walking laps around the concourse trying to put out <laughs> fires or get other things going and, and just kind of waving as we went by. I mean, you, you're you not one of these guys that sits behind the glass door and watches everybody work. No, and, I, and I've and i always – I mean, I actually, probably, probably where you'd see me is down on the field helping with a tarp pool or trying to explain <laughs> to the umpires and coaches what kind of window we had at the moment to play a couple innings before it started pouring. But I've always gone with the philosophy, too, that I think George Costanza said in one episode of Seinfeld is if you look annoyed, people just assume you're doing something. So if you walk around looking annoyed, it's like, oh, Eric's busy. <laughs> You made Cobb smile we, because Cobb and I have this philosophy that everything in life can come back to either Seinfeld or Looney Tunes. Oh, yeah. <laughs> one, one of the two. Uh, how are you handling no baseball? It's, it's been rough. Um, I, you know, when we when spring training got shut down in March, I don't think anyone ever thought we'd be in this situation that we're in right now. Um, you know, things got shut down, guys scattered, you know, everything was put on hold. But, you know, that was mid-March. We didn't really know the extent of of what was going on and how much it was going to impact the country and, and minor league baseball and all sports. And we kind of thought, okay, you know, obviously April 16th, which was supposed to be our home opener, that's on hold. But, you know, we'll start May 1. And then things started moving along. You're like, okay, May 1's probably not realistic now it's May 15th. So what is the schedule? You know, we kept plugging along as if we were going to have a season. It was just going to be shortened. We were reaching out to all of our season ticket holders and our sponsors and our group and hospitality customers who are in that first, you know, two months of the season saying, okay, we're definitely having a season. Let's get you rescheduled for July or August. And we were in a really good spot, but as things kept moving along and then, you know, obviously with major league baseball and their season being the priority to get that done. And you could see, you know, the train going off the tracks there of that getting worked out. I was like, okay, I don't, I don't know if we're going to have a season because we have to be done by September 30th. We can't go past that. And then as the major league stuff continued to go on, the writing was really there on the wall for the last month that, you know what, we're not going to have a season. We're just waiting on that official word. And then when it came last week, you know, like I said, it was kind of inevitable, but it didn't make it didn't make getting the news any easier because then it because at that point it was official. And we're recording this episode on, on July the 7th. So you referenced last week when the official word came. I, I don't think it caught anybody by surprise, least of all you. At what juncture did, did it sink in prior to last week's announcement? Obviously, at what juncture did it seek in to you that? there really wasn't going to be a minor league season. 
I think it was for us, it was, it was really around early to mid June. Um, you know, we've got a great staff here. We've got 30 full-time members and just obviously, you know, you look at this, this, the, the scope of minor league baseball, there is 160 teams. So there's 159 other Greenvilles, which seems like a lot of teams, but in the grand scheme of things, I think I know at least one person or know the GM pretty well at the other 159 teams. And you could kind of see what was going on with teams that aren't as successful as us, don't have the community backing that the drive has that teams. And as early as March, when the news that the season was delayed became official that we're laying employees off, furloughing employees. And we had such a good, we have such a good team here in place that we were doing everything we could to delay that as long as possible. And when we kind of hit, beginning of June, mid June. And it was then it was kind of the writings on the wall that we're not going to have a season. And we had to make some tough decisions with regards to the staff. And we ended up furloughing about half the staff. Um, our intention is to bring everyone back to their full-time capacity. Um, once we have an understanding of what the 2021 season looks like, but I think that's when it really started to hit home that we were keeping everyone busy, even though they were working from home. Um, we were doing a lot of things. I was staying in daily contact with our entire staff, even though we were all working remotely. We were, we were, you know, making sure that this is the team we wanted in place. But, you know, obviously when you're an industry that's driven by butts in seats and you don't have TV rights and broadcast rights and things like that, and you don't have 300,000 plus fans coming to the ballpark to rely on revenues and stuff, you've unfortunately got to make some tough decisions. And I think we were probably the last team to make any uh, staffing decisions, but I think that's when it really hit hard. Cause I mean, again, you, you work so many hours with these folks that they really become an extension of your own family. And then to have to sit down with them and say, listen, we've got to make some tough decisions in the interim. And, and a lot of those folks are really young and they, they don't in this day and age, the word furlough and laid off kind of get used as synonyms when they're not, they're not the same. Furlough does not mean laid off. And those were some, I'll tell you, that was the, when we met with everyone over a two day span, that is the toughest two days I've ever had in my professional career in 16 years now in minor league baseball. And I hope I never have to go through that again. Tom. Eric, about uh, 30 some of the front office and Dan and I are out there at the ballpark every night and people may not know, but you got what, a couple hundred other uh, part-time employees from ushers to concessionaires to, to people that do lots of different things behind the scenes. So there are a lot of people that actually work the Greenville Drive. Yeah, I mean, there's another close to 500 game day employees um, that work, you know, during the season um, that that are, you know, anything from ushers, ticket takers, event and crowd managers to the concession stands and and obviously they're all hourly uh, employees. And obviously if we're not having any games, they're not coming here, coming here early either. And that, and that, you know, it's, it, it was, it's, it's been a tough, tough year. I mean, um, I just can't wait till we can have some type of normalcy and hopefully that's when the season starts again in, tw in 2021. Did you get to the point where you had some kind of configuration for Fluor Field if you were going to let, uh, fans or fans if you did play this year? Yeah, I you know, our mindset, my mindset has always been I want to be proactive versus reactive. Um, let's have plans in place. And 
hopefully we don't have to use them. So when things, you know, first started in March, we sat down then and started mapping out, okay, if we have a season, there's probably going to be some type of capacity restrictions and things like that. Our capacity right now, when you factor in um, standing room only tickets and things like that is about 7,500. So we kind of said, okay, what does that look like if our capacity is 50% of that? How do we space people out? How do we accommodate our season ticket holders first to where they can be a couple seats away from one another? Then what does that leave us in terms of single game tickets that we can sell each night? So we had a lot of things we looked at as if it was 75% occupancy, 50%, 30%, and even 20%. Um, just to kind of go over every possible scenario, if we were going to have a season and what it would look like from a fan experience perspective, I mean, the playground wasn't going to be opened at all just to limit, you know, the number of kids and families that would be exposed to things like that. So there was a lot of things when you look at minor league baseball, it's all about the fan experience. And all of a sudden you're peeling away layers of that just to have some type of semblance of a season. So like I said, we were doing all those things in hopes that we wouldn't have to do any of them, that we would have a season of normalcy. But at worst case scenario, we would have those plans in place. So it wouldn't be like, oh, we get a call. Hey, the season's starting next week. Oh, crap. We haven't done anything to plan for this. Cobb? <clears throat> there was discussion about, and I don't know where it stands, so I'm asking about reducing the number teams you said there's 160 uh, how does this situation work into that does this uh, I guess maybe like retail some of the teams will not come back uh, or still reopen or will, will some of this happen on its own without somebody having to make the decision or and what is the number that or does anybody know the number that's going to be set as far as how many minor league teams will yeah the original plan, and I, I think the plan still from Major League Baseball's perspective, was to contract 42 teams. It'd go from 160 to 120. There were 42 teams originally on that contraction list that Baseball America released back in early March. Um, the reason there was 42 teams on there was because there was talks of two independent league teams becoming affiliated with um, the St. Paul Saints in the Sugarland Skeeters. So they would come from ind independent league to affiliated really when the pandemic hit and major league baseball was put on hold. Um, and the focus turned to that, the negotiations between minor league baseball and major league baseball kind of ceased as well. There's a, there is a negotiating team that is made up of some of the best owners in minor league baseball that have been negotiating with major league baseball Basically, the professional baseball agreement between the two organizations expires on September 30th of this year. Um, usually when that's renewed, it's for, you know, seven to 10 years. Um, and, and yeah, the biggest part of that, the two biggest issues with this whole renegotiation was one, you know, giving the minor league players uh, a better livable wage. But in Major League Baseball's eyes, the main way they were going to accomplish that was eliminating 40 teams that eliminates close to 1200 players, if you will, 
that then those salaries can then go to offset or, you know, be applied to the remaining guys, which, you know, at the end of the day, like right now, a guy for the Greenville drive, take his signing bonus out of the equation because every guy gets a different signing bonus. They all get paid the same based on what level they're at and how many years they've been in minor league baseball. So a Greenville drive player only gets paid from April through the end of the season. And it's $400 a week. I mean, that's borderline criminal in terms of what these minor leaguers make. So, you know, circling all the way back to the major league side, when you've got a guy that's busted his tail for five, six years in the minors, making even at AAA less than $25,000 a year. Yeah. When you make the, the 25 man active roster, your salary does increase to about a half a million dollars a year. But if you perform like a Mookie Betts or a Mike Trout, I mean, you've, you've, kind of earned, you know, the ability to to then command a $30 million a year salary. And, and I understand with the negotiations that were going on to get this, you know, get the major league season going, that fans were upset with both sides of how it dragged on. And, you know, you're a million dollar athlete. How can you, how can you, you know, you know, when there's so the unemployment rate is as high as it is, how can you, sit there and say, you need your full salary. And the players were never saying that they just wanted their salary prorated over the number of games they were going to play, um, which is what they agreed upon in March. But again, you're talking about professional athletes that have a skill set that less than 1% of the world has. So they, their, their abilities command the salaries that they do. I mean, heck, Patrick Mahomes's deal that was signed yesterday for 10 years, $450 million. I mean, Holy cow. Sign me up for that. (laughs) Yeah, we all want to be thrown in that boat. I would think in Greenville with your stadium, your location, um, you're in a real strong position as far as being on the 120. Oh, yeah. We were – we have never – we were never even remotely considered on that um, contraction list. Um, we have an unbelievable relationship with the Red Sox. Um, we've been partners of theirs, uh, for 15 years now, well, 16 years when you count Oh five at old municipal stadium. Um, but 16 year relationship with the Red Sox. Um, they're committed to us. We're committed to them. What a lot of people don't know is that while we have a baseball relationship here in Greenville with our player development contract with the Red Sox, we do have a business relationship with them in Salem, Virginia, which is the next step up for our guys. Um, we have a shared ownership interest in the club in Salem. So Fenway sports group who owns the Red Sox owns 52% of that team. And then the next um, we don't own 48 or 49%, but we own a considerable amount of that team as well. So we have a very unique relationship with the Red Sox, both professionally on the business side and on the baseball side. And, I think what really helped me personally cope with the news when it became official um, the week of July 7th or July, uh, June 30th or whenever it was when the news came out that, you know, there wasn't going to be a minor league season. I was sitting at home late that night um, and got a text from Ben Crockett, who's the vice president of player development for the Red Sox, just saying, hey, you know, I know the news, you know, we all knew this was coming doesn't make it any easier, but, you know, you guys do a great job down there. We're here for you. 
please take care of yourself, take care of your staff, but let us know what we can do for you guys. And about 15 minutes after that text, I got a text from Heim Bloom, who's the new basically general manager of the Red Sox, saying the same thing. So to get two texts from very senior folks at the Red Sox was very reassuring in a very you know, depressing time. When when they said anything we could do, did you tell them how many zeros you wanted at the end of the check you wanted them to write? Yeah. I don't think that was the uh, time for that yet. But uh, no, I, uh, again, though, I mean, just the relationship we've always had with the Red Sox has been so strong. Um, I mean, at at my core, I'm a huge baseball fan. Um, obviously my responsibilities are on the business side for the drive organization. As I jokingly tell people, general manager of a minor league team has nothing to do with the baseball side. It's all the business operations for the club here in Greenville. The next time the Red Sox ask me for uh, any advice on a trade or a draft pick, it'll be the first time. Um, but no, I mean, again, we have such a great relationship with those guys and, and they understand our position and our community positioning and, and how we help the players develop on a personal level that gets them ready for for Boston as well as the you know the on the field performance side of it. I'm just curious who came up with the concept to make it Fenway inside. Was that the Red Sox idea, or was that somebody trying to attract the Red Sox affiliate, or what's the story behind it? We had, it's a little bit before my time, but I mean, Craig Brown, our owner, um, he's the sole owner of the drive. He's very hands-on in the organization, which is awesome. He's very committed to the Greenville community. Um, he'll always say when he first bought the team, he actually bought the team while they were in Columbia, the Columbia Bombers, um, and tried to build a stadium there and it just fell through. And that's when the G Braves left here and it opened up this territory and he said he was either – and he had two other owners at the time who he has since bought out, but they were either savvy enough or foolish enough to suggest a downtown stadium and that they would use all private money to, to fund it. Um, we are one of only five teams in the entire country that the stadium is built with all private money. Um, and, and at the time when, moved, when the team had moved from Columbia to here, because it had been a Mets affiliate – in Columbia, um, that contract was up. Um, they were looking to switch affiliates. The Red Sox agreement at the time was with a, the team in Augusta. That was up. So it was kind of this new marriage. And Craig had gone to Ben Charrington, who's now who had been the at one point was the GM of the Red Sox, is now the GM with Pittsburgh, I believe. Um, he was the player development director at the time for the Red Sox. And Craig and Ben sat down and said, "Listen, we've got a." blank slate for a ballpark what better way to, to have a Fenway replica if this is you know developing your players for the future they should get used to the dimensions of Fenway Park and that's really how it was born cool. we are visiting with Eric Jarenko on episode 11 of grumpy old broadcasters Eric is the general manager of the drive when again Tom and I first met him when we were broadcasting Clemson baseball uh, back in the early part of the 2000s, Eric was the immediate relations director for the drive. And uh, Tom, what didn't we talk to Eric one night after a Michigan State baseball game? And he was staying the, like at two o'clock in the morning doing laundry or something like that. 
I was going to say, Eric, you've come a long way since Dan and I met you because there was that point when we we saw you late, and, and that was, uh, and, and that's one of the good things, great things that, that uh, the drive do among the many things they do is they have college teams come in and play, not necessarily Clemson and, and USC on a, on a regular basis, but but others as well. But you know, they, and you still pull the tar, but you were getting ready to, I think, go down and wash those Michigan State uniforms, weren't you? Yeah, that uh, I mean, the the beauty of minor league baseball is it really doesn't matter what your title is. You're you're going to do everything at some point, um, you know, in addition to tarpools, I'll still get in the mascot suit every now and again in a dire situation. Just I mean, it, it's the one beauty of this business. It There's something new, it seems like every day that you can do. And I I remember that because it was Michigan State. I think Cincinnati was here as part of that weekend, obviously Furman. Um, yeah, and our, our, our regular clubhouse manager was down at Red Sox spring training helping out for the week. So I had kind of told Michigan State and the teams, like we give them the option, like you can have us do your laundry or, you know, obviously whatever hotel you're at, they have laundry services as well. And I remember our clubhouse manager wasn't here and I was thinking to myself, Oh, please, I hope these schools choose, you know, for their for their hotel to do their laundry in both Michigan State and Cincinnati. We're both like, oh, we'll have you guys do it. That way it's on site. And I was like, oh, man, that means I have to do it. And I think, yeah, it was about 1.30 in the morning doing Michigan State and Cincinnati laundry. And I'm sitting there thinking to myself, where did I go wrong with my sports <laughs> marketing degree that I am up to my shoulders in college athlete jock straps at 1 30 in the morning on a friday night so so you want to be in professional baseball right <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> the big time hey, let, let me let me ask you this uh just kind of piggybacking off of off of Cobb's uh, original point um with, with the looks like it's going to happen when we get back to some sense of normalcy there are going to be those teams uh, retracted in minor league baseball. We, we just saw the major league uh, game go through just a ridiculous public relations disaster. Uh, you've, you've got the, the uh, collective bargaining agreement for MLB and the players expiring after 2021, and there's a real chance we could have our first work stoppage since 1994. There are a lot of things right now going on that the game of baseball simply doesn't need. Now, Cobb and Tom and I and others, we can sit back and, and we can see it and, and we can kind of voice our opinions on things or not kind of. We can just say what we want. You're in a little different situation because of your organization. So, I, you know, I'm just going to kind of throw it out there, the, the whole public relations disaster that has been organized baseball here in the last – six to nine months and, and, and get your thoughts on it and, and what you see as a path forward to, to kind of come out of the muck. Yeah, that's a, that's a tough question. I mean, I think major league base, I mean, I think major league baseball is going to probably suffer more than minor league baseball will, um, you know, as long as we can get back to normalcy in 2021, have a season, I mean, really, minor league baseball has always been founded on our main principle has always been the fan experience. Because, um, again, while we have a great relationship with the Red Sox, you know, they're telling us who our players are, who our coaches are, how long they're here. So we can't 
promote our and, and since we're you know single a and we're the beginning stages of these guys careers the fans don't really know who these guys are so it's not so much promoting the baseball side of things it's promoting hey floor field is a great place to spend four to five hours as a family in a very inexpensive manner where yes there's baseball going on but you've got inexpensive and uh, great tasting food there's games and activities going on between each inning there's a great playground um you know i think minor league baseball you know once we come out of this will be in a much better spot than major league baseball because again it is about the fan experience and the affordability for a family to do something i mean we've always said you know you can look at the demographics of the drive fans and you know, 85 to 90% of our fans fall in the demographic of either it's a family coming or a young professional. And the remaining five to 10% are your diehard baseball fans. And we obviously promote to them, but at the end of the day, our main, if you look at our marketing campaigns or anything like that, it's always geared towards the young professional who's looking for something to do in a group of friends, or it's towards mom. Cause at the end of the day with a family, mom is the one who's making the decision on the how to spend the discretionary income so we look at it as our competition is another sports entities we're not competing with clemson football or clemson baseball or clemson basketball we're competing with other things that families are doing like going to carowinds or the movie theater and things like that um but obviously you know at the end of the day the three of you guys are all baseball fans i'm a baseball fan i love to see great baseball um, and I think we've shown that too, is, you know, when the drive came to Greenville 15 years ago, people were like, you're replacing the double a Braves with a single a Red Sox team. What kind of talent are we going to see in Greenville? And in 14 seasons now we've had 90 guys playing Greenville reach the major leagues, which I think is a really impressive number. And eight of those guys were on the Red Sox 2018 world series team. Seven of those were the everyday starters. The only position players that weren't Greenville Drive alums were uh, Steve Pierce at first base and Brock Holt at second base. And because Pierce played at South Carolina, we kind of take credit for him too. So we like, (laughs) so uh, again, I mean, we're such at the beginning stages of a player's career though, that again, unless it's a top prospect guy like a Yohan Mankata or that 2015 team that had Mankata, Michael Chavis, Raphael Devers, Andrew Benintendi, the fans don't necessarily know who those guys are. I mean, Mookie Betts, when he was here in 2013, flew completely under the radar. I mean, he wasn't really a a top prospect. It wasn't until he got to double A and they moved him from second base to the outfield because he was just a freak athlete that he really took off. So, you're a fan. We're all baseball fans. I don't know how much of a historian you are when it comes to to the the past of the game of baseball, but but I am. And and professional baseball, I'm talking mostly at the big league level, has a history of trying to kill itself. If if yeah. you if if you know your history of Major League Baseball, and yet the game has been remarkably resilient. I'm talking about going back over 100 years when you're talking about the reserve clause all the way through the the first incarnation of the players' union and all the strikes and work stoppages. This game internally has tried to kill itself, and, and yet it remains remarkably resilient. Can we afford to lose 
42 teams at the minor league level. Can we afford to take baseball out of 40 markets? For, you know, forget whether it's Major League Baseball or not. Can we afford to lose baseball, which has a history of public relations problems in, in, overall, Eric? Can we afford to lose that many markets for professional baseball? I don't think we can, personally. Um, you know, again, with minor league baseball, when you're talking 160 teams, those teams reach basically 90%, 98% of people in the United States live within an hour of a minor league baseball team. You can't say that about major league baseball. I mean, you look at Greenville, the closest major league team is Atlanta, two and a half hours away. After that, I think it's Cincinnati, yep. which is six hours away. Um, again, you've got minor league teams in North Dakota, South Dakota, Montana. There's clearly no, no major league teams remotely close to those teams. And again, it's what the teams do for their respective communities. I mean, we've done a lot. I mean, we've, we've said, and again, that all the credit goes back to, to Craig Brown, our owner, that, you know, when the drive came to town, it was, we weren't just going to be a baseball team in the community. We were going to be a part of this community. We were going to be involved. We were going to give back. And a lot of team, ever a lot of teams do that. The majority, the vast majority of minor league teams do that. It's all about what they do for their community, and then in turn how the community supports them. And I mean, I just can't imagine community like if you said to Greenville. And granted, we've got an unbelievable ballpark. We're not in this situation, but if all of a sudden you just said next year, starting next year, there's not going to be any minor minor league baseball in Greenville. I mean. I can't imagine what that would do to our downtown specifically our region. If all of a sudden professional baseball went away. I mean, we've had, you know, there's a lot of people that have laid the groundwork for what downtown Greenville has become, but you can't deny the drive has been a huge part of that success as well. I mean, it goes back um, to, uh, uh, Max Heller's vision well before Knox White as our mayor of what downtown wanted, how he wanted downtown to become. And then Mayor White, you know, seeing that through with it really started, you know, with Falls Park. And then we kind of came along and bridged the gap from Falls Park to the ballpark. And now everything's expanding past the ballpark into what, you know, what's the what, what is the West Village, which has kind of become an art district. And I mean, really, it's it's there's not too many cities that can say they've had that collaborative mindset. So I think we're very blessed in that manner. But again, a lot of these communities rely on their professional sports teams when they're this involved. And I just to me, that's that's going to cripple 42 cities if if minor league baseball is removed from them. Tom. I'm going to say, Eric, it, it's amazing. Dan and I are out there every night for, for the home games and there's something going on every night. And, and I mean, your relationship, the drive's relationship with the Greenville community and, and the surrounding area, you get everybody involved with Was that something that Craig Brown wanted at the beginning? And how difficult is that to kind of pull that off every night to have something going on, something different? Yeah, that was, that was Craig's mission and vision since the very beginning. Um, and the way we kind of break down the season is we know we have 70 home games it's easy to look at it and say, okay, Thursday, Friday, Saturdays, right off the bat, those three days make up about half the schedule. We have 12 games on each of those days. 
So Thursdays is your dollar drink crowd. Fridays is fireworks. Saturdays is a great family night. So those nights for all minor league teams kind of take care of themselves. We let our young sales team kind of, we'd say to them, hey, you guys go and sell the heck out of those nights with group tickets, picnics, suites, and hospitality. And then from a leadership level, which includes Craig, myself, our VP of ticketing, our, our executive team, we look at the other 36 games, which are Sunday through Wednesday, which if you did nothing and just said, we've got a baseball game, you'd have a thousand people or less in the stands. We, we strategically look at those and say, okay, what community organizations, what like-minded organizations, businesses in the upstate can we partner with on those nights to create an event within the game? And that's why for 15 years now, we've been able to average almost 5,000 fans per game in a stadium that has a seating capacity of 4,200. Um, and some great examples of that is our Reading All-Stars program that's very involved in Greenville, Spartanburg, Pickens, Anderson, and Oconee counties with all of the elementary schools, all of the uh, middle schools where we recognize kids help, you know, reading achievement, things like that. They get celebrated at a game in partnership with Michelin. The kids get to um, meet the players. They get to parade around the field pregame. Or a night like our advanced manufacturing night where we partner with BMW, Michelin, Hubble Lighting, Greenville Tech, organizations like that. And because this this region has such a rich um, collection of companies that focus on advanced manufacturing and engineering, obviously Clemson's got a great engineering program, um, and really start ingraining those job opportunities in kids with hands-on exhibits on the concourse and things like that. that's a Wednesday night in August before school even starts back up that we've got close to 6,000 people in the ballpark. And those are always fun conversations with the players too. Cause you know, I'm around them a lot and they'll say, Eric, what's attendance looking like for tonight? And I'm like, Oh, it's a Wednesday, but it's our advanced manufacturing game. So we've got 6,000 tickets out for night. It's going to be packed. The reality is all of those people are really on the concourse going through the exhibits and not really in their seats paying attention to the game. So I'll go into the clubhouse after the game. And the guys will be like, you said there were 6,000 people. Like, where were – like, we saw the concourse was busy. What's going on? I said, yeah, that's what they – they were all here for those exhibits with BMW. They weren't – sorry, guys. They weren't really here for you guys. <laughs> Visiting with Eric Jarinko, the uh, general manager of the Greenville Drive here on uh, episode 11 of Grumpy Old Broadcasters. Again, uh, as we record this on July the 7th, just last week, the official word came down that there would be no minor league season. It didn't really catch anybody by surprise, but even getting that official notice, uh, well, it, it, it made it, for lack of a better term, official, and, and that's, that's not easy to take. Having said that, your creativity is now being really put to the test uh, as an organization of what can you do between now and the beginning of the 2021 season to get people in the ballpark for things other than minor league baseball and, and oh, by the way, negotiate the coronavirus pandemic that is still rearing its ugly head. What's that been like? It's been, inter I mean, I think, you know, again, minor league baseball teams, us in particular, you know, at the end of the day, our DNA is marketing 
and getting creative with how we utilize the ballpark. It's just normally we have a baseball game to center it around. Um, you know, we've got some plans in place, whether that's utilizing the ballpark for family events like movie nights or, you know, socially distanced concerts or things like that, um, as well as, you know, opening up the ballpark for any showcase tournaments and things like that. We've kind of hit the pause button on those things right now. We do have some smaller scale private events, whether it's wedding rehearsals and things like that, that we, we actually have a lot of during the baseball season when the team's on the road or in the off season, we have a whole events division. Um, but as far as public facing events, like a movie night or things like that, we've, we've got plans in place. Our hope is to, to release those details sooner rather than later. But, you know, at the same time, like I said, we, we consider ourselves a very strong part of the Greenville community. And when this pandemic, this coronavirus is, you know, having 1,500 to 2,000 positive tests per day in the state of South Carolina, we feel it'd be a little bit irresponsible on our end to look at those numbers and say, oh, it's totally safe for us to have a thousand person event here at the ballpark, even if those folks are socially distanced. So we, like I said, we've kind of hit the pause button on some of that stuff. We've got all the details worked out. It's just a matter of when those numbers get to a, 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 a spot where we feel comfortable kind of opening back up. Um, that's when we'll hit, you know, hit go on all the, all those. And I, and I, we have to do something like that. Cause I think, it keeps us obviously fresh. We miss seeing all the fans at the ballpark because really at the end of the day, all the fans, the season ticket holders, the families that come through here, they're really an extension of our families um, because we see them so much. So again, we're hurting one from a business side, but we're also hurting that there's regular folks that we get to interact with 70 nights a year that we haven't seen that we're not going to see for a while. And honestly, we need to, we need to have some of those events also so people can start to feel comfortable coming back into the ballpark for some smaller scale events before the 2021 season starts. Were, what were some of the brainstorming sessions like? Did you run the gamut of ideas about what you could do from, you know, the what some you might think to some some wild ones like what Pensacola's got it turned it into an Airbnb or something like that? We didn't go that that extreme. Um, that, I thought that was an awesome idea that Pensacola Pensacola did. Um, you know, I know Bubba Watson's one of their co-owners there, and you know, as as if you're a PGA fan, you know, that kind of fits with Bubba Watson's uh, ba uh, background and and mentality and things like that. But uh, we didn't go that extreme. But no, like the movie nights, some family nights, some dining on the diamond, you know, where the ballpark would open up as a restaurant. Um, I think we'll still do, you know, especially when the major league season starts, if we're in a spot where the numbers are at a place where we can open up the ballpark as a restaurant. I mean, we may, you know, offer some dining options at the ballpark and show the Red Sox games on the video board and stuff like that. Um, you know, we've, we're, we're getting creative with how folks can still, if they had booked a group outing for a drive game, how they can still have that group outing here and basically have the whole ballpark to themselves. And we can get creative with, obviously, we've got this field now that there isn't a baseball game. So 
your group can now play kickball or wiffle ball or softball as part of your outing. And it allows you to do something like that versus picnic in a baseball game. So those are a lot of the options that we're, that we're going through right now. It's just a matter of let's, let's get these, you know, let's get results that are less than a thousand cases per day and then we'll be comfortable kind of opening back up. Cobb. You said, and I think you said that you've been in baseball 16 years your class a general manager what what are your goals what do you want to do <laughs> and, and if you want to work your way through a structure how do you do that I, i'm being an old newspaper guy you know we used to fire out resumes all the time you know trying to find that next job and um you know i mean you're in a great spot greenwood you got a great stadium sounds like you're you know on top of everything, but, you know, still, I'm sure, you know, a lot of us want to <clears throat> get the double A, triple, you know, just like the players, double A, triple A and get to the show. You know? Yeah. And, uh, and honestly, this isn't where I thought I would be either. I mean, honestly, I came down to Clemson originally as an engineering major and that flat out whooped me. <laughs> I, uh, <laughs> My freshman year, I mean, they, they flat out tell you, like, your freshman year as an engineering major is your hardest year. Like, we're going to weed out 50% of you. And I was in that 50%. I mean, my second semester freshman year was like Monday, Wednesday, Friday, 8 a.m. physics, 9 a.m. calculus, 10 a.m. chemistry. Ugh. And I had a pretty <laughs> decent GPA, but I was just like, after that year, I was like, oh, get me out of this. And uh, at the time, Clemson was just starting a sports marketing program. So I flipped over to that. And, and, and really, after I graduated, I mean, I went into my last semester at Clemson. And, and again, the football team wasn't as obviously as good as it is now. But I just remember, because I switched majors, I needed to go an extra semester. And I'm originally from Philadelphia. And my parents were like, do you want to go this was early on. Do you want to take classes over the summer so you can catch up and graduate in, you know, what in the May that you originally would have graduated? They're like, we're fine either way. And I said, no, I'll, you know, I'll, I'll hold off on summer classes. I'll take, you know, the extra fall semester so I can get an extra semester of free college football tickets out of it. My dad was like, I mean, they're not necessarily free. I'm sure they're in the tuition I'm paying somewhere. Um, but I, I graduated from Clemson. I had done an internship with the Orioles AA affiliate prior to my last semester at Clemson. I really enjoyed the, the player relations, the media relations side of things. And I thought that's what I wanted to do. I had worked for the Orioles single A affiliate my first year out of college um, as the number two PR guy. And then when the team from Columbia moved to Greenville, I reached out to Craig Brown and Nate Lipscomb and said, Hey, I'm, I went to Clemson. I'm kind of stuck in, in Frederick, Maryland right now. I'd love to get back down to that area. You know, if you guys are hiring a media relations director, I'd love to come and interview for it. And I came down in October of 05 and interviewed with Nate and Craig and they offered me the job a week later. And I started in November of 05 and, and my goal at the time had been, okay, I'm going to be with the drive three, four seasons. I love the media relations side. Um, I either want to go back to Clemson and work for Tim Beret in the SID department, or I want to move back home to Philadelphia and work for the Eagles or the Phillies in the media relations side. And the funny thing is we hit the 2011 season and Bryce Harper was in our league. 
and he was a he was with Hagerstown and he was a jerk like he was a pain to deal with in the limited interactions I had with him and I said you know what I don't really deal with egos too well and if guys are going to act like this at the single a level I can only imagine what they're like at the major league level (laughs) let me switch my focus here um and at that point is when I kind of started asking more questions like where else can I help within the organization? Can I help with sponsorships? Can I help with ballpark operations? I want to learn more about the business. And yeah, I do want to become a general manager. It may not be in Greenville. Hopefully it is. And it's funny how things align because in 2013, our general manager um, who had been with us since the very beginning kind of told the staff at the beginning of the year that that was going to be his last season. Um, I was still really young. I don't even think I, I may have been, I guess I was 31 at the time. I'd just been promoted to assistant general manager. And throughout that whole season, I took some more hands-on roles of of what our general manager would normally do, setting myself up. And honestly, our owner and I had a lot of conversations about, am I really ready to become a general manager uh, at such a young age? And at the end of the day, we agreed that, you know, he said, I'm willing to take a chance at this point because – if I bring, he said, if I bring somebody else in and they're here five, six, seven years, I probably lose you at that point because someone else is going to come get you. So he's like, I'd rather go through some lumps and have you, you know, learn a little bit more in the role here versus having someone else come in and risk losing you, which I thought was awesome to hear that. And kind of the rest is, is history. And honestly, I get the question a lot, like, where do you want to go from here? And Honestly, I, I'm still like a kid in, on Christmas. Like I love, I love what I do here in Greenville. Um, yes, we're a single A affiliate, but when you factor in this ballpark, having a relationship with the Red Sox, the Greenville and upstate community, to me, it's a triple A market. We just happen to have single A baseball. So to me, I had said to a couple of people a few years ago, I think the only experience I would love to get that I hadn't had yet was when I came on board in 05, I was such in an entry level position and the stadium was under so, you know, the construction process was so far along. I had zero say in any of that, understandably. But I, I would like, man, if someone came to me and said, we'd love for you to help build a new ballpark. I think I would probably entertain that. That's what I was saying probably four or five years ago. And then in 2017, waterfalls, rocks, what's your ball, what's your dream ballpark? I have, I think I'm working at it right now, to be honest. Cause then in 2017, after the 2016 season, we had kind of put a list together of all the upgrades we'd love to see at floor field to make it more event friendly And we had worked the whole 16 season working through all those details so that when the final day of the season came in 16, all of that construction started. And we had a really tight timeline. We had to get it all done before the Clemson Carolina game in March. So we had like a five-month timetable to get $15 million in upgrades to the ballpark done. And it was stressful. I mean, we barely – I think we got it done three days before that game. And I said at that point – you know what? I'm good. We, we got, I got that experience out of the way. I'll, I'll stay in Greenville. <laughs> Just a couple of things, Eric, before we, uh, we, we start wrapping up here. Um, while there have been no games played, no minor league season, 
there has been some baseball activity going on at Floor Field and prior to the major leaguers reporting to what's being called summer camp. You had some guys coming through here working out, right? Yeah, that was a lot of fun because I think it gave us a little bit of normalcy to see guys working out at the field. It definitely gave those guys a sense of normalcy to have such a great place to train at. And really, I mean, it honestly just started with a random tweet. I hadn't, honestly, I hadn't even talked to our groundskeeper. And I think he was, when I first sent the tweet out, I think he was ready to kill me at that point. But, you know, spring training had gotten put on hold. Again, we have built such a strong relationship with all the guys that had come through here over the years. And at the end of the day, we are baseball fans. So I just fired off a tweet that just said, you know, if there's any major league guys, minor league guys that are looking for a place to train, heck, even if you're just coming through Greenville for one night, need a place to sleep, need a home cooked meal, need a place to train, Floor Fields gates are open to you. Just reach out and let us know. And it started off slow. We had a few guys, Adam Hill, who played at South Carolina, who was drafted by the Mets. He's now with the Mariners, um, played at TL Hanna. He was one of the first guys to reach out to me and said, hey, I saw your tweet. Is it cool if I start, you know, coming and working out, using the weight room, throwing in the outfield, long tossing, um, using the bullpens? And I said, yeah. And then it kind of it started to snowball from there as word got out. And then when the colleges even shut down, that's when like Mike Freeman and Eli White and Logan Davidson from Clemson reached out to me because they they had been working out as soon as they had got home. They were working out at Clemson. But at that point, when even Clemson got shut down and no one was allowed on campus, they needed a place to train. So then it again, it kept snowballing. I think when we finished up two weeks ago, because we kind of finished up with the major league guys going back, we had close to two dozen guys working out here three to three to four days a week. And it was a mix. I mean, there was like seven or eight major league guys like Mike Freeman, Heath Hembree with the Red Sox, Daniel Bard, um, guys like that. And it was a lot of fun just to kind of walk out on the Green Monster, watch them working out each day. They had gotten to a point, too, where they were doing live ABs on the field because the pitchers wanted to face live batters. The hitters wanted to face live hitting. Um so at the end, they were like, okay, this is going to be our last day um, because the major league guys have to report, Eric, are you okay with us playing like a Sandlot style game? Like we'll break all of us up into two teams. We'll have some fun for the last time. And I said, yeah, absolutely. And uh, they were shorthanded. So they said, you know, do you want to play? And I said, oh. I mean, I play 35 year old and above men's co-ed softball right now. So I, I'm not re really ready to step in the box against Daniel Bard or Heath Henry and face a 98 mile an hour fastball. But if you guys want a pinch runner, I will gladly pinch run. Um, and that's what I did, but it was a lot of fun. Cause um, if you saw any of the pictures we posted to Twitter, like hmm. Daniel Bard took the Sandlot experience dead serious. He showed up in jeans, rolled up Jersey, unbuttoned t-shirt hat on backwards, PF flyers. It was hilarious. Um, but again, that gave us some normalcy. It was a lot of fun to see those guys um, renew some, you know, relationships with those guys. Cause Daniel had played in Greenville with the drive in 07 and 08. Um, Madison Younger was in that group. He had been here in 2011, but I think it also benefited. It really benefited guys like Eli White who finished last year, triple a with the Rangers 
obviously with the expansion of the rosters this year with the taxi squads on the limited, you know, um, limited number of games, he's on the Rangers taxi squad. And I think having a place like this for him to train and be able to say, tell the Rangers I've faced major league pitchers during this shutdown is a reason why he made the taxi squad. Yeah. I'll tell you, Eric, one thing, and for me anyway, when you grow up and start playing baseball first, and I think a lot of, a lot of kids, maybe like me and, and I'm still like you said, a kid in a candy store. And Dan and I got a chance to broadcast those games. And we came to one of the, the banquets you had, I looked down there and, and there was a guy that was dropping some balls and there's some people hitting them. And I said, Hey, can I, can I go down there? And I'll tell you what, I mean, I'm a middle-aged guy and I'm down there and hit a couple of balls at a replica of Fenway park. And, you know, I felt, I felt pretty good about, about myself and walked away. And the guy behind me, I think he'd been out of college for like two years. He was like hitting them off the wall, but just the fact that you're on field and you took some BP. I mean, there's just something about baseball that stays with you. Yeah, absolutely. And I think again, from a minor league baseball side, we always, and it's not just minor league baseball, it's really major league baseball is of the four major sports. We always refer to, to baseball as a lean back sport. You know, it's nine innings, it's three hours. You can honestly miss a couple innings by going to the concession stands or having a conversation with the fans sitting around you and not miss a whole lot, to be honest, but football, basketball, hockey, those are more lean in sports where you've got to pay attention for all four quarters to understand what's going on. And you're really invested in that where baseball, whether it's major league baseball or minor league baseball, you don't really need to be. It's all about the experience. No comments on whether your broadcasters are paying attention for nine innings. We're, <laughs> we're, we're, we're going to let that one slide by. Cobb, any final thoughts? Um, I just an, a very elementary question, which is of no surprise to Dan. And it's kind of <laughs> uh, the difference between lower class A and upper class A. I, I mean, honestly, I think at that point it's really – it's how good the pitchers are at one, not tipping their pitches and hitting spots. And for the batters, it's being able to recognize what pitch is coming. Um, I mean, even just watching the guys who are working out here. I mean, I think we would all agree Logan Davidson when he was at Clemson was an unbelievable college player and he finished the year in single a, but just watching him, face a Heath Hembry versus how Mike Freeman, who is a utility infielder in the big leagues, faces a major league hitter right now. There's a big difference. Um, and I think that's the biggest thing as guys progress is, you know, any a lot of the pitchers throw mid-90s. It's what other pitches do you have to complement that? It's making sure that, uh, you know, the batters don't recognize your tendencies and how often you throw certain pitches. I mean, it, it is an analytics game. That was really cool, too, because I had never, especially because we're a single-A team, when I talk to our players, they're still trying to figure that out. But to talk to a guy like Mike Freeman, Eli White, Hunter Cole, guys who are AAA or big leagues, talk about how they recognize pitches and how they'll study the game before, you know, study a pitcher before they face them that night and say – man, this pitcher throws 60% curveballs. So honestly, I'm going up every at bat. If he throws 70% curveballs on the first pitch, I'm only thinking 
curveball on the first pitch because if you go up there thinking not really thinking that's when you that's when you're you're not going to be successful so hearing those things I mean that's the biggest difference is how they recognize both on the pitching side and the hitting side how you're able to process that stuff in a split second because it's amazing to watch a guy like Daniel Bard who can still throw 98 then throw an 83 mile an hour slider and have a guy like Mike Freeman say, this is how it was spinning out of his hand immediately. And I'm watching it going, all I saw was that one was really hard and that one broke a foot and I would have just looked goofy on either one of them. And I never saw it. (laughs) My best and my best baseball GM story back in the day when I was a college student, I was a stringer for the Anderson newspaper and I helped cover the Anderson Braves. That's how long ago that Brett Butler was playing for the Anderson Braves. And, uh, and to this day, Anderson Memorial Stadium, left field, is 350 down the left field line. And I asked the GM one night, Bill McKay, I said, what's the deal? Why don't you move the fence in a little bit, get some home runs, you know, little fan thing. He's like, oh, no, I'm not doing that. I got to save on baseballs. <laughs> <laughs> that was uh... – Yeah. So we, I mean, yeah. And the price of baseballs has gone. I mean, the minor league balls are like $10 a ball and there's a shared cost between us and the Red Sox on bats and balls. We do this big reconciliation at the end of the year, but you know, we got our our shipment for this year in prior to everything getting shut down. So normally, I mean, we would have just rolled all that over to the 2021 season, but obviously when you start having major league guys and minor league guys here, um, you know, we had to use some of those and there was a day it was, it was lot. It wasn't like it was just batting practice. Cause normally when the guys are doing regular BP with a coach pitching, they're working on certain things. They're working on going to the opposite field or hit behind a runner and things like that. Well, this was a day where they were actually doing the, like, the pitchers were throwing. So it was live game situation. And, and Eli White homered. I mean, he hit two big line drive homers, one off a, of, Keith Henry and one off of David Hess, who's with the Orioles. And everyone was like, oh man, he, you know, Eli's hit too high. And I just looked at him and was like, Eli, you're getting a bill for $20. Those are two balls I'm not getting back. How do you know how many balls to, to order before the season starts? It's more of a, the Red Sox just ship us. Um, okay. the, I think they typically ship us 12 boxes and each box has, 20 dozen in it and we kind of just communicate with their equipment manager hey we're on our last box send us more so we we typically we go through a season when you factor in batting practice and workouts and games and obviously foul balls home runs or just balls getting scuffed up we go through almost a thousand baseballs during the course of a season and they use white balls for batting practice in the show yeah, and we'll open up brand new boxes. First, first, first practice of the year, and the guys always refer to them as pearls. We'll open up uh, probably an entire box and say, "Okay, here's your new baseballs for first practice of the year. You ain't getting any more new ones for <laughs> for for practice." That's when when like an umpire says this ball is no longer good for game situations. Then it goes into the the batting practice bucket from there on out. Uh, and, and answer answer this age old baseball question that I think a lot of people, I know a lot of people have asked me about it. A guy hits a ball with a stick into the dirt 
and it gets thrown around the infield. Guy gets thrown out at first base, and it goes back to the pitcher, and you continue with the same baseball. Pitcher takes a brand-new baseball. He throws a pitch in the dirt, and catcher catches it on the short hop and immediately hands it to the umpire, and the umpire throws the ball out of play. Why? I still have no idea. <laughs> and the, the funny part, too, is so – Talking about, you know, how minor league baseball, you know, no matter what your title is, you're going to wear multiple hats. And again, I like to do things every once in a while to to have some fun with it. But there's one game a year I always actually serve as a bat boy for our team where I will get in the full bat boy uniform. Mm -hmm. So I'm <laughs> the oldest bat boy in the league for one night. And um yeah, like the umpire, you know, because we've got to obviously get the bats after each batter and stuff like that. But we've got to take, you know, we've got a bucket or a bag in the dugout where we take fresh game balls to the umpire. And, yeah, he'll roll them, you know, he'll roll them to us. But, you know, kind of what we do, and honestly, one of our bat boys who's been with us for a long time has kind of said, you know, kind of just look at it, make sure it's not scratched really bad, and then throw it back into the game the game ready bucket, stuff like that. If it's got a really bad scratch on it, get rid of it. But it's funny because the umpire, yeah, they'll roll it to you and you're kind of like, eh, this one looks good. But I've had one a couple years ago. I think there was a ball that was scuffed pretty bad. I still threw it back into the game bucket use. Later umpire, you know, signals he needs three balls. I grab, but that happens to be one of them. I give them to him and he looks like, didn't I get rid of this one like four innings ago? And I was like, okay, I'll take that one back. Nice. Tom, final thought. Well, I was going to say, you, you mentioned in talking about the 10 bucks here, 10 bucks there, but from from just a pure minor league baseball standpoint, I don't think people realize from an expense standpoint, the Red Sox, you know, pay the players and and uh, some other aspects of that. So from, from just a pure business standpoint, uh, there's an interesting relationship between what the Red Sox pay and what you have to pay as a minor league baseball team. Yeah, I mean, the Red Sox biggest expense with the drive is for the players, players and coaches salaries. Um, there is a shared expense with baseballs and, and bats and things like that. But everything after that is is our expense. Um, hotels, bus travel, um, that's all on our expense line every year. Um, so really, I mean, yeah, there's some, obviously with no season, there's some operating costs that just naturally aren't happening, but obviously, you know, at the same time, while we own the stadium, like I said, we're one of the few teams that it's a privately built stadium. We have, we still have debt that we're paying on, on the stadium and stuff like that, which is really hard to do with a bet with the bank when you don't have any revenue coming in. Um, but no, it's again, from a Red Sox perspective, the only thing they're really covering is the players and coaches salaries. Um, and then, and then the shared equipment costs. Well, it's been a fascinating look inside of minor league baseball, Eric. We, we really appreciate your time here on, on the podcast. And, uh, I, I know that, that like all of us, uh, you, you wish the baseball we were talking about was actually happening on the field. Uh, and, and hopefully 2021 is going to give us some kind of, normalcy but uh until then uh keep getting creative i i know that uh you and your staff are are, are working on ways to try to keep the drive in the forefront of, of the downtown greenville footprint and man i wish you luck I, I look forward to seeing what you guys unveil here once uh everything allows us to to start doing these things again yeah well i appreciate that and i appreciate you guys having me on today 
Uh, this was a lot of fun. I could, I could talk baseball for hours and um, or sports in general. And just, yeah, I think as I've told people, you know, we're going to, we're going to come out of this stronger than ever. Um, anytime, you know, I, we've had the support of the community through all of this. I think that speaks volumes to, to our positioning since the beginning, just the level of support we've had uh, and continue to have. And I think, you know, opening day 20 opening day is always a special day, but I think, you know, once opening day 2021 comes um, it's going to be that much more special because sometimes you do take things for granted until they're gone. And I think, you know, anytime there's been, you know, any type of national emergency, I mean, even going back to nine 11, you know, yes, baseball stopped for a small period of time, but then baseball was there to help with the healing process. And, we don't have any sports right now really to help with that healing process of what the nation's gone through. So, I mean, we, again, I think we'll come out stronger in the end. We're looking forward to opening the gates back up for some small events and things like that, but nothing compares to baseball. So I can't wait for uh opening day, 2021. Greenvilledrive.com would be the best way for people to kind of uh, get uh, in tune with those announcements and plans. And of course, follow you on, on uh, social media, right? Yeah, absolutely. The, the the drive website's always a good spot. Our social media accounts are always great too. It's in this day and age, it's easier to kind of update those pages easier than uh than and then the website, and it's a lot more instant. And then if you if you ever need a uh, a breath of fresh air, if you will, you can always follow me on Twitter because you're going to get all different types of perspective there. Yeah, and, and I can't wait until until the drive and the uh, the, the Charleston Club, the River Dogs start you know, going back and forth at each other on Twitter again. That's when we'll know yeah, baseball's we like back. To have, we like to have some rivalry. I mean, naturally there's already a rivalry there with Greenville versus Charleston, but when it's a Red Sox affiliate and a Yankees affiliate. Um, but then every once in a while we get Columbia in the mix as well. Yeah. But yeah, I mean, social media is, a, I mean, for all the flaws that it ha- does have, um, sometimes it is a great spot to at least have some fun and I mean again minor league baseball we don't really take ourselves all too seriously so especially on social media is where we can have a lot of fun Eric thank you again buddy thank you guys thank you good luck thanks so there you go a good hour plus with Eric Jarenko the general manager of the Greenville Drive and uh, Cobb Tom and I get to see it on a on a nightly basis broadcasting the games but you, you got a little minor league baseball 101 education there yeah, well, I've been there enough to know that it's a it's a great operation. I thought it was interesting that he said, you know, triple A, we're an A team in a triple A town, and you just wonder what the the future may hold. The way the West End has developed around that stadium, and um, you know, got the well at one end and the Peace Center, and and then you got the the, the baseball stadium and. Um, I mean, Greenville's got it going on right now, so who knows what the future holds. But, yeah, he, he's, he's, he's tuned in. He knows, you know, minor league baseball is about – it's not necessarily about the baseball. It's about about the entertainment part of it. And, and Dan uh, right down the street, Sodaro Pizza. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah, which I mentioned in the open that I recorded before we started the main uh, – the main part of the uh, broadcast here, but just a couple of blocks down, 116 North Markley Street, Tadaro Pizza, who brings you grumpy old broadcasters on a uh, episode by episode basis. Well, years where minor league teams have all come up with their unique nicknames and uh, their own logos, and it's not necessarily teams clad in 
hand-me-down major league uniforms anymore. Um, you don't find that a whole lot anymore. Every, everybody's got their own identity now. So um, that's real interesting. Uh, you know, 16 years and, um, you know, a lot of people would be surprised that you say tag of GM that, okay, I got nothing to do with who's on the field and who's here and when they leave and when they stay. Um, you know, he's just all about running the, the operation around the team. So that was, that was uh, enlightening. And I will tell you also, I didn't get to throw it in, but I saw my first professional game in Salem, Virginia. Really? Went to elementary school with a kid whose dad owned part of the Salem Pirates. And uh, they had the, the hand-me-down major league uniforms with the sleeveless jerseys, you know, the classic Roberto Clemente look, but that was in the I was in the mid '60s, but yeah, I'm sure Salem has got a new ballpark like everybody else now. But um, that's uh, it's 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 interesting. I, the whole thing, and and I'm sure the pandemic sped up this talk of contraction. And you know, there's some teams that probably won't survive this financially, and so you know, all that'll factor in. But it is sad when jobs go away. Yeah, some of the things you read, 80 may go away in, in terms of minor league baseball. Last year, 41 and a half million people went to minor league baseball. So, I mean, it's it's a huge deal. There are a lot of things that they need to be negotiated at the minor league level, the major league level the next year. It hurts the time. The other thing that I found fascinating and I really didn't dive into it was, what did he say, seven starters? Yeah. Greenville. I mean, that's got to be. That's got to be some kind of record because I would think Class A baseball is similar to college football making the NFL. I would think your percentage is one percent or less. Well, Maybe better. I don't know. I mean, that and, and, awfully high percentage. I mean, there've been a ton of uh, of players come through here in the Red Sox organization in sixteen years, obviously. But he said ninety players who have played in the Red Sox organization at floor field for the drive have gone on to make a, 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 at least an appearance in Major League Baseball, and some of them obviously have gone on to become stars, maybe with different organizations like an Anthony Rizzo, for instance, with, with the Cubs. He was part of a trade before he got, uh, you know, got to, to the Red Sox uh, out of the organization. But, uh, yeah, I mean, they, they've brought a lot of talent through here, and uh, but I, I did not know that stat of the 2018 World Champions, seven of the of the uh, nine really position wonder, players. And you really wonder, sir. I mean, and you couldn't put a percentage on it, and you couldn't. Uh, it would just be absolute speculation. But you really wonder doing the ballpark like they did it, if that has any kind of effect. Uh, it's got to have some effect, I would think, but um, just really a unique situation. And somebody had somebody had a lot of vision when that when that happened. And um, it's really it's really cool. It really well. Is. When Dustin Pedroia went through here last year, he was here for opening game. That was the record one at Dan yeah, right. fifty one. He talked to those younger players. And said, hey, look, take advantage of this. This is a replica of Fenway Park. You want to get to Fenway Park and 
you know, learn how to play here, learn the nuances. And, and from that standpoint, I mean, that, that's a, that was a pretty amazing story too, about how it all came about and you had yeah. some other things you wanted to go and, and, and you guys go back to, and I, I got here in, in 2005 and I had no idea about the West end and what it had been like. And I know what it took to try to get it built down there, but I mean, those, those folks and Craig Brown, they hung in there got that build and now you've seen what's exploded around the west end i'm not sure uh, probably some of it would have and i'm not sure all that would have happened without the drives uh floor appeal i just remember the absolute disappointment when you know the the greenville braves and the city went back and forth back and forth back and forth and then the greenville braves left it was like you know that was the one thing about atlanta through the years it was it was richmond durham uh uh, Greenville, it was Savannah, but then Greenville. I mean, Atlanta had literally all of their minor league affiliates within driving distance. And uh, when the Greenville Braves decided to leave town, it was a real disappointment. And uh, But I think what has developed there at the West End and at Floor Field is uh, it's really – and I've seen the minor league ballparks at Oklahoma City and Memphis. and I mean, they're all nice. But they're not, they're not as unique as Greenville. Uh, it really is a neat place. I'll wrap it up by telling a, a story uh, involving our, our mutual good friend, Tim Beret. And we were doing a Clemson baseball broadcast there in 2005 or 2006, maybe 2007. And like at Fenway, the deepest part of the ballpark is that corner where center field begins to bend to right center where it's 420 feet, and actually a little bit beyond that, and, and then the fence out there is is seven or eight feet high. And Andy D'Alessio hit a ball off the top of the wall at that corner, so it went 425 or 428 feet and didn't get out of the stadium. And I made the comment that, well, that you know, in, in any other stadium in America, that's a home run. And Beret was working the game with me at the time. He said, except Fenway. <laughs> so I was like, yeah, thanks for pointing out the obvious that I overlooked, Tim. Thank you very much. All right, guys, that was uh, that was another good one. If we could get anybody to listen to this thing, we'd be in good shape, wouldn't we? Because we've had a heck of a run of guests for the last two months. We really have. We really have. Our boy Jason Whitlock has rattled some cages lately. Yes, he has. We, we may have to uh, re-release that one just to yeah. just to ride on his coattails a little bit. Yeah. But Cobb yeah, enjoyed it. Been... Tom enjoyed it. Uh, we missed Dory today, but, uh, well, she'll be with us next time, hopefully. Yeah, we'll get her back. All right. All right. Talk to you guys later. All right. Thanks, guys. And with that, we will wrap up Episode 11 of – the uh, grumpy old broadcasters. Yeah, I almost said something else. I, I've been doing so many different things here lately. Grumpy old broadcasters, our thanks to, of course, uh, Tom Van Hoy and Cobb Oxford and our guest this week, uh, Greenville Drive General Manager Eric Jarenko. Once again, we uh, want to thank uh, Tadaro Pizza for making the uh, broadcast and the podcast possible. Uh, John and his folks there have uh, been such great supporters of ours. TadaroPizza.com is the website, and we look forward to having you get back to uh, visiting them and uh, check out what they can do for you. Best pizza you're going to eat anywhere in the upstate and beyond. 
That'll do it. We will see you again uh, in the next week or so with another edition of Inside of... um, (laughs) It's been a long day, folks, of Grumpy Old Broadcasters. I'm so grumpy I can't even remember our name. We'll be back with you uh, in a week or so with another edition. And until then, for all of us here, I'm Dan Scott saying God bless you and so long, everybody. (laughs) 